Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? Are you telling me you built a time machine? What about the warrior? The Statue of Liberty is kaput. Disconcerting. Welcome to the Cine Siblings Draft, where two brothers choose a topic within film and obsessively rate them in their top five, hoping that we don't steal each other's picks. Uh, if that happens, then we get suckered and have to choose a lesser film, so to speak. I am Ian. And I'm James. And Jamie, what are we drafting today? We are drafting World War II movies, specifically, I think, military-focused World War II movies. Yeah, I think there are a lot of films out there that are focused on other aspects of World War II and the effects they had, like the, like you said, the home front, like Hope and Glory or Holocaust. I mean, those are obviously really powerful films in Schindler's List and The Pianist. And then there's also a movie like Downfall, which is Hitler's last hours as accounted by his secretary in a bunker. So I right. think those are, those are out because they are not military focused as we are doing military focused in honor of Veterans Day. Right. Or uh, Remembrance Day for you guys overseas. Ian, we have to decide who goes first. But before we do that, why don't we talk a little bit about why we other than obviously being Veterans Day just passed. What does this particular genre mean to you? Man, this, I guess I was watching World War II movies way earlier than I probably should have, as I did with most of the violent movies that we watched as kids. But there was something about World War II in particular that was so fascinating. And maybe it was that it was so easy to hate the Nazis. I don't, I'm not really sure what it was, but the, just the 1940s get up of it all. I don't know. I'm not really sure what my adolescent fascination with World War II was, but, and it probably had to do a lot with Saving Private Ryan, which sure. we'll talk about. And next week we'll do our deep dive into Saving Private Ryan. But man, this film, I mean, this, this genre within war movies is very vast super there's a lot of good good films based on world war ii i mean it was a long war it was you know yeah. there's lots of stories to tell within this even like historical and fictionalized history but uh my our grandfather who who passed in 2009 was also pretty world war ii obsessed and uh he didn't serve in world war ii he served in korea but we, if you're watching on YouTube, we so together we collected these, these 12 inch uh, to, GI Soldier, Ultimate <laughs> Soldier, Dragon, whatever, uh, Hot Toys kind of action figures. And we, he, I have, there was a flood in 2016. Yeah. I lost all my collection, but his was high enough. His was high enough up where uh, they were saved. So I still have his collection and it was just something we would do. We would dress them up or whatever while we're watching a war movie and uh, whatever. That sounds pretty non-manly or whatever, but <laughs> no, it was well, cool. Was, You'd like load them down with all their gear and we'd be like, all right, look at this he, one. And then he was, um, he was a, he actually, as a boy during World War II, he served as a civilian like air spotter. I can't right. remember what, it, what the 
what the proper term for it was. And I'm sure we'll hear from dad after <laughs> to, to clue us in. But he would observe uh, mil- like flights and military planes from his home as a boy and report them because he was you know, old enough to understand what was going on during the war. And that was uh, one way they, they helped keep track of, uh, make sure there was no, you know, spy planes or anything else going in or, or things going astray where they shouldn't be going uh, yeah, for and him, it, you know, very, very influential in his life. And our uh, Popo on our mother's side, he actually served during the World War II times. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong, he was in the Navy. And when he got to uh, Tokyo post-atomic bomb. Right. Um, he, he served on an aircraft carrier support ship. And he's, he's got a lot of stories <laughs> that are fun to tell. He's, he's 93 at this point, still kicking pretty well. Yeah, and, and um, he actually, with, with uh, his mother and father, served before he was, was allowed to join up at 17. They all worked in the Higgins boat yards. In New which, Orleans, yeah. Right, which we see in the film Saving Private Ryan um, with but those, also it's, those boats. It might be one of the key reasons why the National World War II Museum is in New Orleans is because it was so, New Orleans uh, Higgins Boats factories was so crucial to that invasion and the well, war itself. Well, keep in mind that it started as the D-Day Museum. Right, correct. Which is, which is how that happened. And it was such a well-funded and such a good venture uh, that they, they decided to make it the National World War II Museum. I don't know how that process worked, but it's, uh, it's yeah, certainly but- really really good one i if i'm not mistaken somebody can fact check me later or we could talk about it at a later date but tom, i'm pretty sure tom hanks and steven spielberg had lots of financial donations to that museum to get that going so yeah but look i think we are probably ready to start getting into this draft yeah I'm ready, dude. So it's my turn to pick uh, how we decide who goes first. And I want to simplify matters and just do a good old paper, rock, scissors. All right. Well, we're in a Zoom chat. You're at your house. I'm at my house. So I don't know that paper, rock, scissors really works for the audio experience, but we can say who won, I guess. You ready? Yeah, let's do it. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. All right, All right, rock, beats, scissors. You I get me. to go first. All right, dude, you got it. All right. So we are doing a snake draft, by the way. So yeah, like last time in the superhero moments draft, we're doing a snake draft again. Round one. All right. So my number one pick has got to be the longest day. I knew it. This is not only my favorite World War II movie, it is probably my favorite movie of all time. It's uh, Longest Day is uh, 1962. It's got the 7.8 out of 10 on IMDb, 75 from uh, Metacritic, Rotten Tomatoes. The critics give it 87%, the audience 90. It's got a lot. It's a big cast um, starring John Wayne, Robert Ryan, Richard Burton, even Sean Connery. God rest his soul has a small part in the in the film as well. I mean, it's it's really one of those uh, great ensemble casts. Um, it doesn't it doesn't rely so heavily on 
its main actor, John Wayne, who gets wounded half like halfway through the like yeah, as soon as he is, lands and he's just kind of there. Yeah, this is not your regular sort of follow one person sort of thing. So what the the film is all about, if you, if you haven't seen it, and I really encourage you to, it's it's the events of D-Day. It's told on a grand scale from um, the Allied points of view, the German points of view, from the, the common soldier to the officers to the high command. It goes from all these perspectives. Uh, it doesn't go into Hitler's perspective, but for everybody else, um, basically involved in it, you see this. And I, abso- I absolutely love this film. It's more about trying to tell some of the stories of the event. And so, of course, the, the history is not going to be perfect, but it really does try to convey to an audience the scale and the different perspectives of what was happening on this one day. Yeah, and it's it does. I think it does a really good job of that, um, without being unattainable for younger viewers. Let's say so. Some some war films are not okay to let your kid watch beside you and learn some history. It's they're too brutal, and and in reality, war is brutal. So in some ways, the film is is got some sanitization, um, and. I don't know if, if it's all purposeful or if it's, you know, it's not really done as, as a, it's not like a propaganda piece. It portrays Hitler as completely inept and, and kind of foolish, but it, it doesn't portray the, the German officers in a, an undue negative light, um, which I think is kind of interesting. Um, and it's not one, it's not, for its period, that's kind of, I don't know if it's, it's kind of refreshing. Uh, you know, we just did Braveheart and like the English, there's, there's no redeeming value to any of the English people at all. So that's, that's one of those things that it, this doesn't take that tact of saying this is the enemy uh, and you should hate them too. And so war, war is more complicated than that. You know, right. yes, Hitler was evil, but not everybody that served on Hitler was evil and I'll talk about that probably later with one of my picks yep. uh, but for me The Longest Day was always a, a film that you could come back to especially as a kid it wasn't so heavy that it, you you know it is a little long if I remember correctly it's just it's it's like three minutes under three hours so I mean most of these World War II epics are very long but and doing our There's homework for this draft was, was is brutal. Doing our, I mean, a lot of the movies we had already seen, but we haven't, like I said, I got my obsession with World War II started when I was really young and I haven't really came back, come back to these movies very often, except for maybe a few and then a few that were uh, more recently released. But I haven't watched this movie in a while. And honestly, I never really had a desire to, I guess this just isn't, for me now because of i guess what my particular taste in war movies is and i think it is the sanitization of it all i think that it it felt the last time i watched it it kind of felt like a a fluff piece comparatively to some of the other uh some of the other stuff but i get what you're saying why it it 
it definitely belongs here. And if we had nobody selected it, it, we would have heard about it, I'm sure. But yeah, this is, this movie is definitely a good first pick. And I think it encapsulates uh, this era of World War II movies uh, perfectly. Cool. Right, so, it, so it is my first pick and then my second pick. So, cause we are doing a snake draft. So my first pick, I mean, it has to be saving private Ryan. This movie, I think really kickstarted my obsession with world war two movies. And if I, this movie had not come out, uh, I probably wouldn't have gone and watched all the older movies, like the longest mm-hmm. day and whatnot. And this movie definitely, desanitized all the war movies. Steven Spielberg changed the landscape of uh, World War II movies in forever with this film. So. Yeah. And uh, so Saving Private Ryan it came out in 1998. It didn't, it controversially did not win the Academy Award for Best Picture. It lost to Shakespeare in Love. Uh, directed by Steven Spielberg, like I said earlier. And uh, just a, a brief synopsis on it. Following the Normandy landings, a group of U.S. soldiers go behind enemy lines to retrieve a paratrooper whose brothers have been killed in action. It's got a 91 on Metacritic, an 8.6 on IMDb. Rotten Tomatoes has a 93% with the audience score of 95%. And... Next week, we're going to do a deep dive into this movie. And I think it really deserves that treatment. I think there's a lot going on. A lot. This movie's trying to say a lot, really. But the movie starts off with the 2nd Ranger Battalion uh, landing on Omaha Beach. And it, as soon as that Higgins boat, like we were talking about earlier, that Higgins boat door drops, it's all out mayhem. And apparently Steven Spielberg had no storyboards or anything for this scene. He just kind of went with it and let it unfold. And this, this is one of the most intense action set pieces ever. I mean, you had World War II vets that went to screenings of this that had to leave. They had to leave because they were having problems, obviously. And they, they commended Spielberg on it saying like, this is so close to reality but i think the rest of the film afterward it kind of contrasts that in a lot of ways that yes war is hell this invasion was absolute hell but there is still hope for humanity and i think the end the quote close to the end of the movie coming from tom sizemore uh he says, Some, someday we might look back on this and decide that Saving Private Ryan was the one decent thing we were able to pull out of this whole god-awful shitty mess. Like you said, Captain, maybe we do that, we all earn the right to go home. And I think that is the best quote to what this movie is about. Yeah, and like a lot of you know, people talk about the premise of the film being kind of specious and you know, even acknowledging that there's historical precedent for it. Right. But uh, as I've been rewatching and, and like watching very closely for our deep dive, that that premise is not lost on the filmmakers. And the, we're, we'll get into a deep dive of this. Uh, and so I don't want to I don't want to give away too much. Um, but yeah, but it's 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 definitely a very worthy number one choice. And I think honestly, 
Um, like we talked about 28 days spawning the zombie. Later. Yeah. What did it, what did I say? 28 days. That's a Sandra Bullock movie. 28 days. Oh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> uh, uh, 28 days later spawns a zombie. Yeah. 28 days later. Craze. Uh, yeah. Kind of rejuvenates the, the zombie craze um, or the zombie film genre. It, you know, it rejuvenates it. I think Saving Private Ryan, likewise, really rejuvenates um, not just World War II movies, um, but also just war movies, uh, modern war movies, I think, more so. Than, right. Than I mean, else. you have the 70s and 80s era, like anti-war, Vietnam era, platoon kind of films mm-hmm. that are very, very anti-war. Apocalypse right. Now. Uh, even Patton is in that era and it, it, I believe that Patton is an anti-war film but we don't have this we don't get this movie we don't get Band of Brothers and I'm saying oh. right here right now Band of Brothers is the greatest thing ever filmed I don't know if I can say that it is having the highest seen, rated narrative television not, show on IMDb Just having, not, there. having not seen all film I, I won't say it with an absolute but I can't think of anything that any, any limited series that I like more. Yeah. Um, but it can't be drafted because it's not a movie. Right. So Ian, I think it's time we move on on to your number two pick round two. All right, man. Well, my number two pick is probably a better film than my number one pick as at least that's how film snobs on letterboxd seem to think this is the 1985 soviet russian film come and see okay so i watched this this is a deep pick now yeah this no i I mean this movie is the second highest rated film on letterboxd sandwiched between parasite and the godfather so People that watch this movie really, really love it. But it is a Russian foreign film from 1985. Director, yeah, L.M. Klemov. Just a brief synopsis on it. Uh, After finding an old rifle, a young boy joins the Soviet resistance movement against ruthless German forces and experiences the horrors of World War II. Uh, It does not have a Metacritic rating, as most a lot of old movies don't. it's got an 8.3 on IMDb. Rotten Tomatoes has a 97% with the audience score of 95%. Nice. Man. Okay, I've seen this movie one and a half times. And <laughs> one and a half I was explained. Yeah. Uh, well, I've watched, well, I had a bootleg copy and then the subtitles quit halfway through. So then I just was like, all right, I'll buy the Criterion <laughs> Collection Blu ray, do it right, do this film. Because I was engrossed Shame. with it, you know. I was, yeah, I was engrossed with the movie and it's been on my list for a very long time. And I was like, all right, well, I, now I have to watch it. We're doing this World War II draft. I don't think any film has ever made me so upset afterward. Mm. I was so taken in with this boy's journey through Belarusia. He's pulled from his home. I mean, he's happily pulled from his home because he wants to fight in the Soviet resistance. His mom is telling him, don't do it. Uh, elderly man from his village is telling him don't do this you know don't dig the rifle up 
it's just so it weighs so heavy on you. Like I had to sh- take a shot afterward hmm. and chase it with a beer. Like I was so I needed to sanitize my brain because I was recording a podcast af- right after. But man, I can't get over. I don't think I'll ever be able to get over this movie. And I think it is required watching. Like the things yeah. that the so the things that the Nazis did in Belarusia is terrible. They built they went and I don't, I don't want to give away too much but this is the horror well, it's also history so yeah. i mean it's it's not yeah. exactly i mean if you really want to but like go look up what the nazis soldiers the nazi soldiers did this to 600 some odd villages in belarusia which is mon- part of it is modern day belarus but uh it's filmed on like the squarish aspect ratio. So when it focuses in on just the, a por- like a face, that's like a portrait, right? So mm-hmm. it, you just can't, and it's, the portraits are so important because you see this boy, you turn from a smiley faced young recruit. And, and I mean, I lent you the Blu-ray and mm-hmm. that is how he looks after it. Right. And at the end, I've read some stuff about this, that, that the young boy, by the time he finished filming, he had gray hairs. Wow. And, and this movie does not get made in America at all because the things they, like the special effects they used, I mean, some of them weren't special effects. They were firing live ammunition mm-hmm. and live tracer bullets. And there was a moment where a cow gets pegged with a tracer bullet. And I'm like, did they just kill that cow in real life like i'm so like i don't know what 1985 soviet union filmmaking rules were but i know that some things aren't very not every country had PETA at the time so but (laughs) yeah and this is not one i've seen so like and it was on my it, it was on my basically next to watch list but we we needed to record and so and I, and you would have sniped me either way on it, so I'm I'm glad it makes the the list here. I think one thing that uh, we we do as Americans is uh, forget that the rest of the world exists, and as much as we might have reason or pre- let's say predilection to villainize Russia because of you know what happens after World War II and the Cold War, you know we we can't forget that they fought and had to deal with the Nazis invading them. Um, so they, there's a lot, there's a lot of story to tell. And um, it's not just the Russians, it, you know, this story is, is um, takes place in, in what is now Belarus. So it's, it's, you know, it was Soviet then, but um, isn't now. So it's, it's just, I think it's, it's a good pick and an important pick to remember. If you have not seen this movie, I would recommend you get on Amazon, spend the $30 on the Criterion Blu-ray. It comes with awesome special features, a little special feature booklet. It, I mean, and it's restored. The audio is restored full HD. It's uh, HD 2K resolution. And uh, I cannot recommend this movie enough. Like I said, I, I believe that this is required viewing <laughs> for historical purposes. If you, one of right. if you're a cinephile or if you're obsessed with history or film history 
this movie is a must watch. Good call. All right. So we next, uh, do I get my second round pick now? You sure do. <laughs> <laughs> Hard to follow that one. Um, it's rather weighty. Um, I'm going to go with, with one that's actually very similar to my first pick. And I think it's going to belie my, the style of movie that I, I tend to like is going to be a bridge too far. Ooh, um, that was actually on my short list. I sniped one from you. Um, so this is 1977. IMDb's uh, synopsis is uh, Operation Market Garden, September 1944. The Allies attempt to capture several strategically important bridges in the Netherlands in the hope of breaking the German lines. Uh, this is director Richard Attenborough and um, Cornelius Ryan uh, based the screenplay on the book by William Goldman. It stars, uh, again, he's, he's back in this one, uh, Sean Connery. Sean Connery. Ryan O'Neill, Michael Caine, uh, Anthony Hopkins is in it. This is, it's, a, it's an all-star ensemble cast. Of the um, British, the, the UK variety. Um, yeah, it is, it is certainly more of a UK uh, cast, but it's got a, it's got Americans in it. Um, I'm trying to, to remember. I can't Michael Caine. No, it's not Michael Caine. I mean, Gene Hackman's in it and Gene Hackman plays a, he plays a Polish uh, general. Major General Sosabowski. I don't know. I I can't remember who's who anymore, but anyway. I actually watched this movie a lot. I didn't watch it on our rewatch, but yeah, I watched this uh, movie a lot. And it is on Amazon Prime for you streamers out yes. there. So it's kind of similar to The Longest Day. It's got the same sort of feel. Um, it's a little bit darker in some respects, but it, it does cover a little bit more of both sides. You know, not, not, not really more of both sides than The Longest Day does, but it covers both sides. Of, of the of the war in in this particular operation um, and it doesn't go out of its way to vilify in a propagandish sort of way but I, I really like it this one is really historically accurate they the the filmmakers went to great pains to to really make sure the things were right and like they, the, the effects are practical. Yeah. All of them. You would net, you will never see a movie done like this again because it was exceedingly expensive to do. And like, there's, there's a scene in the film uh, where they're doing the parachute drops. All these paratroopers are dropping and they actually are dropping real para, parachute men in parachutes they even get cameramen to take their cameras out in a parachute period correct parachutes you will never see a movie do this again unless it's tom cruise no i don't know you're not no, going to no. get in this many mach- basically not, not extras many. jumping they just set up a bunch of cameras and did this i mean yeah tom cruise might do his own stunts Sure, but no, but he did his own. He did a parachute drop in the last uh, Mission Impossible movie, and the mm. film, the fil- the guy with the camera, oh, okay. whoever was filming it, was doing it with him. Gotcha. It was pretty. The, there's a making of on that, and it was pretty cool. But yeah, but yeah, the, the thing is, movie, is like well, Operation Rocket. Ones. 
Yeah, Operation Market Garden in a lot of ways was a failure. Oh, it was, and it, it yeah. shows the it shows the this blunder. So, and and that's a kind of a contrast to the longest day, in that it it shows a lot of the sides of of this failure and why it was a failure. And um, I mean, but it, it also kind of shows, you know, even you know some of the futility of of the war, um, some of the the arrogance that people had and it's kind of it's kind of to me it's a good follow-up to the longest day because you kind of go oh well you know we're we're winning we're we, nothing can stop us now and that's really kind of what happened um the allies got really kind of complacent too, yeah well maybe maybe too arrogant or too prideful in in their uh belief that they they had the germans on the ropes and they 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 had a foothold but it wasn't as good as they thought it was and they really un- made it they underestimated what was what the Germans were really capable of. And well, correct me if I'm wrong, but Market Garden was Monty's operation, right? And nobody, a lot of, yeah, a lot of American, yeah, a lot of American medium, the Allied generals were not a fan of, yeah, the, the British commander. I think. I think Patton had a like an alternate plan, and they and Eisenhower ended up going with with uh, General Montgomery's. But General Montgomery actually doesn't show up in the film because, in reality, he didn't have much to do with it after basically planning it. But yeah, oh, well, anyway, um, so Bridge Too Far gets sixty four percent from critics, eighty six percent from the audience, as far as our Rotten Tomatoes is concerned. It's got a 7.4 on IMDb. Yeah, and, and uh, it doesn't, doesn't have, a, have a Metacritic. Right. So that is my numero dos pick. We'll go with your numero trace. Round three. All right, so our round three pick. I am deciding to play slightly tactical with Ian because I don't know. I don't know what he's going to pick, but I think this will be on the list and I need to get it because it's Patton. It, not, not in my top. But not in? Yeah. Okay. okay. Well, it, it's on it, my short list, but it's it would not have been, It would have been a decade ago. Maybe. Yeah. It's a really, this, this is a really good film and a really good choice, obviously. Uh, so it's uh, 1970. Um, it's... Uh, Directed by Franklin uh, Franklin uh, Schaffner. Schaffner. Uh, yeah, it's written by Francis uh, Ford Coppola. It's yeah, it's written by this Francis. Is early Ford, early Francis Coppola. Ford Coppola. And um, and Edmund North uh, kind of comes in and I think does some other stuff with it. But uh, stars uh, George C. Scott as um, Patton, uh, and. It, it just, it really focuses on the, the World War II phase of the career of um, this American general who was quite a controversial, controversial figure. Um, it's, it's in that way, it's kind of a biopic, um, but because it doesn't really cover anything but the, the World War II phase, because he had a long career. Um, well, this is... You can say that, but he had a long career, but this is his defining moments. Yes. So that's why I would think this is a biopic because this is his defining moment. And once sure. the war ends, 
he well, never he, comes home. He well, dies. No, yeah, in he Germany dies overseas. in a jeep wreck. In a right. jeep crash. And that, and it, and it's kind of a, it's a very anticlimactic ending. And it's not really, um, it's not that's not part of the film. It's just part of the history. Right. Um, it, he is just such. It, it, the the film really just goes into just so many aspects and you mentioned it as a kind of an anti-war film and in some ways it is and in some ways it's not because it, it really depends on how you see Patton and if Patton to you is if what he's saying is absolutely horrible or if what he's saying is 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 ringing true with you because i i mean i know a, a lot of our you know 2020 sensibilities are would be repulsed by Patton, um but you're I, I mean i remember grandpa being quite fond of him at least in at least the memory of him in some some form or fashion i mean so, he he does what he has to do to get the job done right right and it, it, he'll he'll like you said he's a controversial figure a lot of the other generals did not agree with the, what his methods were oh, mm -hmm. bradley in particular and eisenhower were very upset and they kind of pushed Patton to the side until the battle of the bulge uh which he was basically you know the hero of which right. too many many uh people's chagrin i guess yeah and i mean but he was he was he he had a lot of faults but he had also a lot of charm um he i mean we guess we, we know george c scott's portrayal in the film has a lot of charm you don't get to be as as high and make as high a rank and make as many mistakes and as Patton and yet still be considered I mean, there's been a lot of people who've written about him. He was he was a charming. He could be charming when he wanted to be, um, but he just didn't know when to shut up. Yeah, well, he might fit into American politics nowadays. Um, hmm. But the, he's yes. but he was actually capable of doing some of backing up his talk. Um, but also, there's a lot of times where he was put into put in his place by his superiors, and I mean, he was very emotionally driven man. I mean, there's stories of him breaking down in tears, um, which isn't really, you know, so much portrayed in the film, but, um, you know, he, it's just, it's so good. It's got so many iconic moments. You know, we've talked about films being quotable. Um, and this is one that's got a lot of good ones. I mean, the opening scene is everything, right? The opening speech with the American flag background, he's in his full, his full dress with his all his medals and his little mm -hmm. his gloves and the little whatever you call that thing his little baton stick it's a, got his, like a riding crop and he's got his helmet on with the the stars on it and i mean yeah oh yeah, it's a, it's a, gives, it's iconic he gives he gives an iconic speech at the beginning and man this this yeah no this this film should have been in my top five so i'm happy Thinking about it right now, it should have been, uh, I should have had it 
in my top five. Definitely not in my top two, but I'm glad you took it for sure. But let's hear some scores. Oh, yes. Uh, the scores. So 91 from Metacritic and 7.9 out of 10 on IMDb. And I need to pull up my other document. Uh, it gets a 94 um, from critics and a 93 from the audience on Rotten Tomatoes. That's a good, nice, perfectly balanced, as yeah. all things should be. Yes. So, all right, Ian. So what is your number? Th- yeah, round three pick. My round three pick is another movie from 1998. And I think this is the overshadowed War, War II, World War II movie uh, from that year. It is The Thin Red Line. When you um, said 1998, yep, that was that. Knew it. This, this movie is vastly, I think, underestimated. And it is a bit of a, a drag, I guess. I mean, it's very somber in its story. Um, I, I can't quite put my finger on why I didn't come to this movie. Maybe because it wasn't as uplifting as say private Ryan was. And I think that's why it was overshadowed, but this movie is it's also Pacific theater. It is um, Pacific theater. They're not fighting Nazis. Truth. But the Japanese did equally terrible things to a yes, lot of people. But that was that's not like always in the forefront of right the mind sure 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 you you have like i couldn't tell you that i couldn't tell you the japanese emperor's name or what he looked like everybody knows what hitler looks like um but this movie is directed by terrence malick um and just a short description from IMDb is the adaptation of James Jones, James Jones's autobiographical 1962 novel of the same name, focusing on the conflict at Guadalcanal during the second world war. It's got a 78 on Metacritic, 7.6 on IMDb and on Rotten Tomatoes. It has an 80% critic score with the audience score of 80%. So critics and audience perfectly balanced. Right. Um, So this movie, which I did watch a lot as it, as I grew up, but um, I rewatched it recently. It was on uh, stars, I believe. So I was able to stream it through that. And this is, gorgeous this is a gorgeous nightmare it this is the only way i can explain it this is a gorgeous (laughs) nightmare through i mean because you get there's a scene in particular where this squad of seven guys is pinned down behind this rock by this sort of um this machine gun it's it's like it's five guns i just watched i just rewatched it and so i'm like and this is this this cast is like (sighs) Yes. It, like even if like some of the big names you see don't show up for very long they just have a short speaking part just to give you some narrative of what's going on and that this movie doesn't have any real narrative it's this this journey of all these soldiers through this conflict and it's, it's another mean, ensemble cast of a of the battle of guadalcanal just like yeah. a bridge too far in the longest day 
Yeah, and just to name some of the the cast, Adrian Brody, Jim Caviezel. I think if there is a main character, it's Jim Caviezel. Yeah, his character is. as uh, uh, Private Wit. Uh, ben Chaplin, George Clooney, John Cusack, Matt Doran. Uh, John see. Travolta shows up. John Travolta. Uh, is it Nick Nolte? Woody, Nick Nolte plays the the bastard of a colonel colonel yeah uh woody harrelson mm-hmm. let's see thomas jane there was a well, there was a moment where because thomas jane's the other guy that goes awol i think at the beginning with uh jim caviezel's character and then you he comes across him later on and i'm like holy smokes that's Tom, a young thomas jane uh <laughs> elias Cotius, who you would know as uh Casey Jones from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movies. Uh, Jared Leto, who gets killed really on. Uh, Tim Blake Nelson, Sean Penn, John C. Riley, uh, George Clooney. You Mike said that. Yeah, you're, Nick, you're, you're repeating now. So Nick Nolte, but Nick Nolte is... I hate him. You do. You hate him. And that's <laughs> the thing. You get this contrast of these these soldiers who are doing this as the, like they're basically doing what they're told mm-hmm. and Nick Nolte and Elias Cotius get in this sort of conflict in the movie. And you're like, where they're pinned down all mm-hmm. this cat Elias Cotius plays this captain. And he's just like watching all his, his men get mowed down by these dug in, yeah uh japanese bunkers and dude when he disobeys that order from nick nolte and i'm just like oh god like this is not gonna end well and he's like you know relieved of duty and sent home basically but it's 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 a really good film that talks about really good things and and doing the right thing even if it looks like the wrong thing and i mean it that's one of the things I think about war movies it, it, is it puts people in impossible positions to hold on to ideals in some ways. And sometimes they hold on to the ideals anyway. And it's, it's always interesting to see where that gets them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this one, this is definitely a worthy pick. And it's, it's another one of, of those films that I tend to like with you have this ensemble cast that's talking about a real historical operation that you know and and all the the drama that goes with it and and of course you know with all these things whether it's a bridge too far which made like a lot of effort to be historically correct or you know any of these films um and thin red line has to do it too they they have to you know combine real people into single characters for the for the film but you get a much clearer picture um of what some of this was was like although it it does kind of shrink the scale down some this this, necessarily so this movie is super ambitious and i think it obviously i mean it was nominated for best picture uh for that year like I said, it was overshadowed by Saving Private Ryan. And I guess it's, I think it's because we, the people, the audience, the viewer, we enjoy a good narrative that gives us some sort of hope. 
And this movie does not do that. This movie just tells it like it is. And it gives you glimpses of some of these soldiers past and some of these, what they're, what they're dealing with. But all in all, I think this is a great portrait of what this was actually like. And I love all the cutaways to the nature around them and the, and it gives just a gorgeous that's why i said it's like a gorgeous nightmare it it gives like a a very beautiful sweeping picture of where they are and Mm -hmm. all these exotic thing all these exotic animals that a lot of these a lot of these people probably have never seen before and yeah it, it also clues us in on those things that they were seeing as well definitely all right So let's move on to our fourth round. Round four. All right. So I don't know if you watched this or not, but Hacksaw Ridge. It is one that I must say I have not yet seen. It was on the list and it's, it's, I want to see your, yeah. So, Man, say what you want about Mel Gibson. The man can direct a film. And uh, my only complaint about the whole thing after I watched it was Andrew Garfield's outrageous accent throughout the whole film. (laughs) But then I I watched interviews with the actual figure he's portraying, and I'm like, spot on. All right, this dude is almost a caricature. Like... All right, but just a little quick rundown. Like I said, directed by Mel, Mel Gibson, uh, World War II American Army medic Desmond T. Doss, who served during the Battle of Okinawa, refuses to kill people and becomes the first man in American history to receive the Medal of Honor without firing a shot. Uh, in the film, he's in history, I guess he's sort of known as a conscientious, conscientious objector where he refuses to kill. So they, I guess they, they sort of put him in this medic, uh, make him be a medic. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got a 71 on Metacritic. IMDb score is 8.1. And on Rotten Tomatoes, it's 84% critic score with an audience score of 91%. And I think nice. this is a film where it portrays the horrors of war well and much like uh saving private ryan and other sort of uh war is hell commentaries um they don't they don't shy away from the horrors of uh what was going on but this movie really gives you a glimmer of hope in humanity and Mm -hmm. while my second pick Gives, leaves you bereft with and feeling like there is no hope for us as a human race. This film does. This film gives you the opposite because of one man's uh, will to help others. And I mean, he's hmm. go this in the film, he's going above and beyond. This dude after retreating, they have to leave wounded behind. This dude goes back by himself and rescues 
wounded soldier after wounded soldier after wounded soldier. And not only does he rescue them, he single-handedly like belays them down off a cliff to safety Wow! by himself. And it's just, it's so unbelievable. Like you're like, there's no way that this happened. Right. Mm. And you like start Googling some of the stuff and you're like, Holy shit, this dude did the thing. Yeah, this is this is the man amongst men, <laughs> and he didn't fire a single shot. I mean, the entire movie That's- leading up to this, everyone calls him a coward because he's a conscientious objector, mm-hmm. and he is the opposite. He right. is the polar opposite of a coward because he runs into the fire while everyone else is running away to save those in need. Uh, and that just speaks volumes to the human race because yeah. no, not all, not everybody does that. And obviously not, mm-hmm. but he, like I said, he did it. And it's really incredible, an incredible story that how it wasn't told before uh, 2016 yeah. How this wasn't a movie before then just blows my blows me away. And it might have been that the people, if they had been made before, people wouldn't have believed uh, about this. And if mm-hmm. we want to talk about another Medal of Honor winner, Audie Murphy, who started oh. his own his own film, I've read a lot about To Hell and Back. That is the Audie Murphy story. They Hollywood made him. They made conscious choices to tone back some of the stories right and that happens other people because they're so out the things audie murphy did were so outrageous right and the things desmond doss did were so outrageous and mel gibson does not shy away from them at all and that that's a good that's a good way to 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 portray that and i think that that's that's actually been something that that's been done with with movies based on true stories is occasionally it's it's the case that hollywood doesn't play up the the actions because the reality at least according to you know the eyewitnesses and the people who were there it's it's too unbelievable and audiences just wouldn't buy it but i I, the one thing that that kind of that you you brought up and i kind of want to just highlight it again is you you the, the dichotomy of opposites with Hacksaw Ridge and Come and See, um, where it's it's following, you know, these these young men, you know, and one in Come and See, he finds a gun and everybody's telling him, no, you don't don't do this, don't go join the resistance, and in the other, everybody's telling him he's a coward because he won't pick up a gun and go fight, and you know, one is come and see is very hopeless and, and Hacksaw Ridge is very hopeful. Um, and I think that may have a lot to do with, um, you know, the, the points of view um, that in the, the, some of the cultural outlook, I don't know that um, communist Russia or co- the communist Soviet union was a particularly hopeful sort of place. Um, and that's, that's partly, you know, I was born in the eighties. I got a, I got a definite uh, bias against the Soviet union. Um, But, you know, you also take Mel Gibson as a, as a filmmaker 
and we, you know, we've talked about his religious views in, in Braveheart and I think the allegorical uh, stuff, which I would, I kind of want to revisit Braveheart someday uh, to, to talk about some of that. It's, it's very hopeful uh, in, in that worldview and that, that religious perspective too. So I think that he, he probably chose uh, that story, jumped on that story when it comes across to him um, because of that aspect. So excellent. I think it's a really good choice. Even not having seen the movie, um, both yeah, Come I mean, and See it, and Hacksaw Ridge are like, they, the two DVDs are literally sitting on my mantle, you know, by yeah. the, by the, yeah. the Blu-ray. So, and I mean, watch them and then on our Dissect and Reflect, you can uh, reflect on those missed yeah. out choices because I think you would, I, I, I know that Come and See might not be your speed because it is, there's a lot super of... Super dark despair i mean it's not it doesn't have its it does have have its moments of levity like you know levity and there are hopeful things and you know some happy happy immediately crushed well yeah my my thing is is i i just those kinds of movies i get i internalize them and i think like you you know you're you're definitely they weigh on you probably just as heavily as they do me I just learned to avoid them. <laughs> learned to avoid the things that make me upset a but little I think, better. I think movies that move you in such a way are important. I mean, sure, movies are only as good as what they mean to you. And even if I watch a movie and I'm pissed off afterward, I, out of just sheer rage of what transpired on our Earth uh, and what humans are capable of doing to each other i think it's necessary just to just for your own sort of i don't disagree and and, i'm gonna come back to this point in a few minutes when i pick when i have another pick another another thing i watched that i was left pissed off over was the um the texas thing a waco i felt I was so angry at the end of Waco because of what happened and right. just the sheer kerfuffle of it all, but to, for lack of a better word, but yeah, anyway, right. yeah. Hacksaw Ridge, check it out if you have not seen it and do not let your feelings about Mel Gibson sway you away from this because he is not in the movie. So you don't even have to look at his face. <laughs> so just watch the movie. It is a story of, true heroics in a time of despair for a lot of young men uh so check it out okay well i am gonna take my fourth pick and bring in a little a little bit of levity um i am taking 1963's the great escape (laughs) classic it's a classic steve mcqueen baby steve mcqueen okay so directed uh by john sturgis um it's based on the book by paul brickhill and uh screenplay by uh, james clavel uh steve mcqueen james garner richard attenborough um star it's another pretty ensemble cast um I love this movie. Uh, So the the synopsis uh, from IMDb is allied prisoners of war plan for several hundred of their number to escape from a German camp 
during World War II. Um, so it's it's a it's a prison break movie um, set during World War II. It, their job, you know, the, the Allied soldiers see it as their job, and and it it's explicitly stated as their job to try and escape um, and use as much of the German resources as they possibly can. So it tells that story, and as in any good prison break uh, film, you have a lot of very fun and interesting characters and um, you, there's a lot of comedy, but there's a lot of seriousness too. And um, because of the, the nature of what they're trying to do, it's very dangerous, it's very serious. Um, but, but there's just, there's so much good stuff in the film. Uh, another one that's highly quotable and, and you know, you can, this one, this is, you know, a World War II film you can watch with your kids in the room or they can actually probably watch and join you for the most part. Mm -hmm. um, this isn't a film you have to worry about anything, you know, being too uh, gory, you know, it's nothing, you know, it's nothing that you wouldn't uh, normally be okay with them seeing uh, for, the, for your average audience, you know. If you, right. if you have stricter standards for your kids, you know, you know who you are. You be, be reasonable for your own self. Um, but yeah, this is, I mean, it's as far as films so far, so far listed, I think this one has the most rewatchability. I think this movie is one of the reasons I always wanted a motorcycle and eventually <laughs> got one. Uh, Steve McQueen on the motorcycle. Steve McQueen on a freaking motorcycle, dude. There's nothing more iconic than that. Really? I mean, and I don't want to be James shallow. Dean on a motorcycle? Okay, maybe. But <laughs> for me, for me, it's Steve McQueen. And it's because of this movie. I don't want to be so shallow in my uh, talking about it, but this movie I have not seen in a long time. And it, to be honest, it didn't even show up on my radar. And I think it really deserves to be on the, on someone's list. Uh, I mean, and you could talk about the scores. I mean, the scores reflect that people oh, yeah. love this movie. Critics love this movie. And uh, I didn't talk about the scores, but it's 8.2 on IMDb out of 10, 86 from Metacritic. Uh, the Rotten Tomatoes scores 94 for the critics and 95 for the audience. I mean, this yeah. movie hit home for literally everybody. Uh, and, and I'm definitely gonna go back and revisit this film as an adult. Like I said, I haven't seen this in a very long time, and I'm only 31, but I ha probably haven't seen this in two decades. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, so I guess I get my. Fifth round pick now. Round five. Is that right? That is correct. All right, so this is my final pick for Team Jamie. This one's tough. And I would like to, to make note that we know that we are ignorant of many great World War II films, having not seen all of them. Because um, there are a lot. 
there. I didn't have a clue as to how much I was missing. And this being really one of my favorite genres of movies, I have a lot of homework to do, gladly to do. Um, so my final pick is going to be another classic, The Bridge Typical. on the River Kwai. Typical. The All Bridge classics. on the River Kwai. Uh, 1957. Um, you're, you're whistling to me. Great. Yes. Um, yeah. So director David Lean uh, uh, written the, based on the novel uh, by Pierre Boulet. Um, uh, French, a French novel <laughs> based on it's Oh, I don't know. I don't know how it works. Uh, Carl Foreman writes the screenplay. Uh, stars William Holden, Alec Guinness, and Jack Hawkins. Um, it's like Guinness plays the original Obi Wan Kenobi. For those of you who didn't know that, yes, um, and many other great older films as well. Uh, Eight point one on IMDb, eighty seven from Metacritic. And on Rotten Tomatoes, it's a 95 for the critics and a 93 for the audience. So it's fairly, very highly touted. It, it won uh, Academy Awards, uh, seven Oscars um, to get all together. Um, so the, the synopsis is that uh, the, these British POWs are forced to build a railway bridge across the River Kwai for their Japanese captors not knowing that the allied forces are planning to destroy it. Um, so given my love of history, this one actually kind of, I just have to take this one as historical fiction because it didn't happen. Um, not, not like this. And, uh, but the, the story of it is, so interesting because it's really talking a lot about the the clash of civilizations it's not just a cultural clash of you know the japanese and the british it is it is east meets west and it is very very interesting to see the interplay and all the the different things and and as um i think Alec Guinness plays a very, very um, interesting military officer. Let me um, talk about this for a second. Just, okay. Just to All right, cut go ahead. It. Cut in. Alec Guinness's Colonel Nicholson in this movie. This is one I did rewatch. It just irked my sensibilities now as to he's like don't give too many spoilers yeah i know but he just kind of throws his other officers under the bus saying that we won't work that he does they all no. get put let me talk okay so they all get put in solitary confinement of sorts along with himself he is willing to sacrifice that and it, they call it the uh, the oven because it's in the hot sun and they're basically it's basically a form of solitary confinement he gets put by himself and everybody else uh gets put all the other officers 
get put in another box in the sun together. And, and all the, the men under his, their command go work on this bridge under Japanese leadership, which is basically doomed from the start. But according to Geneva Convention laws, as Alec Guinness states in the film, the officers don't have to do manual labor and except for in a supervisory sort of role. And the way he, when they tell him no, he, I, I just feel like he throws a fit like in his head that he's like, this is not how it's going to work and not on my watch. And I, it just irked me that he would let his officers get put in the sort of position that they are get put in. Well, and they almost all get mowed down. They almost are yeah. all killed, including me, himself. And, and it bothered me. I know, but it bothered me. His character in the film bothered me. It's like he felt like he, him and his officers weren't uh, required to do the manual labor that the Japanese captors. Then I think you're making them. Then I maybe think I'm missing the point, but you whatever. are, you're missing the point. And part of it is the idea is one, his, his officers beneath him under his command are following his leadership because they believe in it. Um, that's, that's one of the things. The other thing is, is that the Japanese were not following the Geneva convention. They didn't care. Um, and they were, brought up on war crime there were war crimes based on on that um okay but and and so the thing is is that if if they give into that if they gave into that what else were they going to have to give into if they didn't make the protest and the thing is is that he wasn't going he was going to stand on principle and this is one of the the cultural clashes is you know they saw they saw them because they surrendered they saw them as being unprincipled the Japanese, well, that, that's the very Japanese the, the Bushido. At all. Right. And so this is what the clash of civilizations has to do with it. And so you, and he's, he's basically saying we, the whole film is basically this, this cultural study on, no, we are principled. We just have some different principles and there is some, they come to some level of mutual respect the the two commanding officers so it, there is it, it, to a point where it's almost toxic um and this of course you know it's it's not it's based on it's based on real events but it's not based on a true story and if you if you understand what i mean it's like you got a historical backdrop but this is really a fictionalized sort of thing um so it's it's not really like something that happened but it is a really interesting portrayal of what was happening in a um the japanese pow camps which after watching you know the great escape um it's it, it becomes rather apparent that the germans at least uh, the luftwaffe which i believe is the, the the great escape uh pow camp they were far kinder or more civil to their their captives um, than the Japanese were, particularly in you know Thailand here. So that's my fifth and final pick for Team Jamie. 
All right, dude. I got a tie for fifth here. And they're kind of similar in nature. You have to pick one. I know. So the other one's probably going to end up as a bench warmer here. (sighs) I'll take 1981's Das Boot. It is a German film that uh, I had watched it when I was younger, but I, I revisited it because I didn't really remember. I remember enjoying it. And so I revisited it. Uh, it is directed by Wolfgang Peterson. Uh, and I'm not going to name any of the actors, of course, because they're all old in German. But this movie is uh, just a short synopsis, a very short synopsis. The claustrophobic world of a World War II German U-boat. Boredom, filth, and sheer terror. And that about sums up my feelings on this movie. Except for that it's three hours and 29 minutes long. Of reading subtitles. Reading subtitles because it's completely in German. And I can tell you that I'm completely here for it. It's just this sort of... like a. Like I said, it's in a U-boat and it just goes through these phases of these German soldiers who are oddly relatable and oddly humanized. And I think that speaks to why it has to be this film that is told from the German's perspective. It's because they're not out and out killing Americans or British soldiers. They're just, I mean, they are since they're blowing up destroyers or convoys or whatever, but they're faceless. You don't see, if you do, you see them drowning in a distance in a fiery wreckage. But this, like I said, they go through these sort of trials and tribulations of what it's like to be on a u-boat or a submarine period i mean they get crabs halfway through it and then there's they they say, and i'm and they get so bored that one of them dresses up kind of in drag and they're playing music and dancing to it and uh it's but whether it there's no doubt that the nazis are bad right but there's something about this group that in this film you're when things start to go bad for them you feel for them and it kind of gives you this sort of feeling that like i said war is not as complicated as good and evil and if there is more such a war it is it is more complicated than that did I misspeak? Yeah. Uh, okay. So it is more complicated than good and evil. And if there is a war where there was a very evil person, it's World War II and, and with Adolf Hitler. And so you're seeing this sort of these guys in a German U-boat and you want to hate them because they're Nazis. But whether or not you believe that every soldier, every U-boat captain, and every uh, Wehrmacht, you know, SS or whatever, were completely 
hypnotized by the Nazi ideology, this movie kind of lets you know that they're just kind of normal guys doing what they're told, following orders. And there's a moment where they, they're bored. They request to, to return home after this grueling sort of underwater battle. And they kind of get, they get to this freighter or this nice boat sort of thing. And when they, they get like a grand meal, a, a buffet of food, fine foods served to them and just the officers, mind you. And, uh, they have this moment of hope, like we're going to get to go home in time for Christmas and their request is of course denied by the German leadership. And you just see everybody just kind of descend into this despair. And like I said, you want to hate these guys because they're Nazis, but it's not that simple. You do feel for them in a way that you feel for other soldiers that served in the American in the allied side or even, you know, and much like Clint Eastwood's letters from Iwo Jima, you kind of in your last pick bridge over river Kwai, you kind of come to understand some of the axis of evils uh, perspective. So that's why I picked this Just movie. Axis of Evil. I don't think that was what they called themselves. Well, that's what I'm calling them. <laughs> I thought that was a George Bush quote. <laughs> okay, but they, no, it, that's but what I, the, the three. The, no, yeah. you're right with with your 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 assessment. I think, and you know, and it, we've talked about it before. Where. You, in, in other podcasts where having the Nazis be your bad guy, it's easy because that's, you know, what Indiana Jones does, for instance. And it's like, Nazis, oh, I hate these guys. They, they, they're easy to hate. You don't have, we have a negativity bias automatically. Um, but the thing is, is that we've gotten a little more nuanced in our portrayals. Um, in like, uh, we, I, I watched the movie, the movie uh, Fury, and like they they seem they they you know Brad Pitt's character in the film he hates all the Nazis but it's it's uh, he he has a, an especial hatred for the SS and I think that's my other pick by that was my other pick I couldn't decide between by the way uh, I think you I think you made the better pick um, it has been a long time since I've seen Das Boot and I don't like a really long time. Um, but the, I, I think having a, a German perspective and, and realizing that they're humans too, they're, you know, these, this idea that you get about just because um, someone is on the wrong side of something, you know, and, and I think Tolkien talks about this, he, in the, in the book of, uh, I think it's Two Towers, uh, um, and you know that the rangers of Athelion uh, with Faramir, they they kill um, one of the the men of Harad, and you know these they're they've got darker skin and you know everything like that, and it's kind of like, but he looks and he's like, they're not. He's, he talks about them not being orcs, and what lies was he fed 
to make him join up with Sauron. Like, you know, he does, you know, are there people waiting for him back home? These are the things that you really have to consider and think about. And it's not, it's not so simple as killing orcs, you know, they're humans. And, you know, the idea that you're oh so much better than they are. If it's like, if you were in Nazi Germany at that time, would you be any better, any different? And the answer is probably not. You, you know, most, you know, the, this idea that people have that they would be, they would be Schindler. We, we left Schindler's list off, you know, but they would, they would be the hero, you know, hiding Anne Frank in, in their, their attic. No, you wouldn't. You know, 99.9999% of people wouldn't be that person. And that's um, a tough, that is, as an American, that's a tough pill to swallow, I think. So seeing in this film just the outright terror that these, these boys went through uh, on these claustrophobic U-boats, like just crazy but also the director basically uses one set and that's the u-boat there's a couple other moments where they're off of the u-boat or they come they come up to see when they're up they come up to to see the by the way the score on this movie is so bombastically 80s like just oh and it, uh, like, uh, it took me out for a moment. I was like, what the heck is the score? <laughs> but yeah. it works kind of because they're like cruising through the cruising through the surf, you know? And anyway, yeah. but all right. So uh, let, this movie is we, definitely, definitely a good pick. So the uh, Metacritic score is 86. IMDb has got an 8.3 and Rotten Tomatoes has 98% with a, audience score of 96%. So this movie is pretty well universally beloved by everyone who's seen it. And I think the sentiment is the same thing. It is a refreshing look at the German, uh, the, you know, the average German soldier's perspective. Right. All right. So let's review our picks. Okay. So team Ian's picks. I've got, Saving Private Ryan, Come and See, The Thin Red Line, Hacksaw Ridge, and Das Boot. All right. And Team Jamie, I've got The Longest Day, A Bridge Too Far, Patton, The Great Escape, and Bridge on the River Kwai. If you haven't seen any of these movies, I hope we didn't spoil them too much for you. Uh, but yeah, go out and seek out these films. They are all worth a good watch. And uh, yeah. Anything else, Jamie, before you sign us out? Nope. I think I'm ready to sign us out. Are you ready? Not quite, because at the end of uh, after this episode airs on a Friday, we're going to post a poll on Twitter and our Facebook pages. Uh, and you get to vote on who you think had the best top five uh, World War II movies. 
And I think this time I might actually win, but you had Saving Private Ryan, so I wonder if people will vote solely on that. Well, you just have a bunch of old movies and I have a mixture. You also have a couple foreign films, which I know nobody's seen. I might have to count on my cinephiles out there to really send my vote home. Anyway. This is the problem with popular voting. You can, you can, uh, wow. You went there. (laughs) (laughs) All right. (laughs) You can, uh, check us out if you want to talk with us, uh, about the, our drafts or any of our other topics we talk about on Cine siblings. You can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I believe we are at Cine siblings pod on all the above, or you can follow me at Mungle smash on Twitter and Instagram. Jamie, where can they find you? Uh, Mung, well, yeah, Mungle James at Twitter, whatever it is at Mungle James on Twitter. Uh, yeah, how that is. How, how that is he's a new he's a new <laughs> i'm a twitter newbie he made me get a twitter account for this yeah anyway uh so until next time go watch a new movie or catch an old one this has been the cinesibbings podcast i'm ian and i'm jamie Thanks for listening to the Cine Siblings Podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Cine Siblings Pod.